This is your fourth episode of Kimchi Slaps by your funny unmi, where we discuss what slaps. And you already know, we're going to be getting into the book All About Love in honor of Bell Hooks. I was very tempted to get into the discussion of Emily and Korea. If you follow my TikToks, you know that's where all the drama is right now. I am honestly agitated beyond belief by this white girl. There was literally a moment where I thought, well, am I being too judgmental? Because she does seem just young and dumb. Like, is this like a youth thing? But then I remember that I was in my 20s going to Paris and I was also young and dumb, but I knew how to behave in a foreign country. And me in my 20s, those are not a time where Google is free. That concept of having everything easily accessible to your knowledge was not quite there. And even then, I still knew how to act with respect in a foreign country. I knew that I was going to Paris as an American tourist, also as an Asian woman, which are not great combinations, by the way, <laughs> to be traveling in Paris as. But I knew that I was going to be out of place. And I did my very, very best to try to blend with the walls and not cause a scene and do anything that would be an eyesore to Parisians, okay? So the whole young and dumb excuse for Emily and Korea is not acceptable. I just wanted to get that out of the way because I have lived being young and dumb as well. This level of entitlement is very ignorant and white. I don't want to get too into this topic because she's honestly draining me, guys. It's exhausting to talk about people like her. So I do want to focus this podcast, like I said, on positive energy and I told y'all this was really a love letter to my TikTok fam. So I want this to be my safe place and maybe even a break, safe haven, a break from all that TikTok drama. Currently, though, I, I am pretty angry about this whole situation because it's time and time again white women in particular that behave so badly and can't take accountability for their actions that are always <laughs> just, I don't know, drain me. They really do drain me. And like I always tell you all, I don't go looking for this shit. I was summoned. I was summoned by Korean people to address 
this situation. I would not even have come across her account. I was very fortunate. My FYP is elite. It does not serve this shit up to me. So I never came across her account. It was in DMs and uh, that were being sent to me where I looked up her content. I don't know, man. I mean, <laughs> this is not where I thought my TikTok. When I first started TikTok, this is not where I thought my account would go. So there are moments where I'm like, what the fuck did I do wrong? <laughs> How did I end up here? But you know what? Uh, let's get back to reading because I need to be all about love. I need to remind myself that I actually do love people. <laughs> so I, I, I'm, I've been looking forward to this, to reading to y'all and getting through. We're going to finish up this introduction today. Bell Hooks, all about love. I'm just going to pick up where I left off. When I first began to write poetry in girlhood, I thought love was the only topic, the most important passion. Indeed, the first poem I published at age 12 was called A Look at Love. Wow. Bookmark. She published a poem at age 12. Damn, what the fuck was I doing at age 12? Nothing. <laughs> Let's just revel in that for a minute. Okay, uh, back to reading. Somewhere along the way, in that passage from girlhood to womanhood, I learned females really had nothing serious to teach the world about love. Oof. Bookmark. Uh, that's, that's a tough pill to swallow. You're a writer, and then you come to that realization from... Girlhood to womanhood, that means like, you know, we're talking what, 18 to 23, 25 age range? That's a, that's quite a burden to bear, I feel like. Okay, back to reading. Death became my chosen topic. Bookmark, whoa! <laughs> How do you go from love to death? Man, see, I knew it. That is bleak, okay? This is how I feel like women are often pushed out of the things that interest them because they're not taken seriously. I mean, this is why I constantly contemplated quitting comedy because you don't see women being celebrated as comedians, I mean, sure, there's, you know, breakout stars like Ali Wong and legendary Margaret Cho. But the amount of effort that it took to revel in these women, y'all, it's, it's like, has to be groundbreaking shit. It is not something that happens on the regular. You have to be... Like, out of this world, spectacular to get that kind of place at the table. 
And the sad thing about that, especially in like local comedy clubs, because it always starts small, right? And then you expand out into bigger, everybody starts small. It doesn't give room for people to want to try, to flourish, to grow. Like, <laughs> I hate my local comedy scene. It's um, very, I don't know, like young, 20, every, like people who are just still trying to figure out their life. It's, it's also very clicky. It's just seen as a very young trend thing to do. I don't feel like it's taken seriously. And when I come in and, and try to participate as a comedian, as a female comedian, it's, you just don't get taken seriously. And that atmosphere, it seems, is just everywhere if you are a woman, even in the year 2022. <sighs> okay, let's get back to reading. No one around me, professors and students alike, doubted a woman's ability to be serious when it came to thinking and writing about death. All the poems in my first book were on the topic of death and dying. Even so, the poem that opened the book, the woman's mourning song was about the loss of a loved one and the refusal to let death destroy memory. Contemplating death has always been a subject that leads me back to love. Significantly, I began to think more about the meaning of love as I witnessed the deaths of many friends, comrades, and acquaintances, many of them dying young and unexpectedly. Holy Oh my God, that made my heart just um, ache for her. Oh, death is so hard. And to deal with that in your youth, dying young and unexpectedly, what? Okay, uh, I'm an empath. I'm sure of it. I... I feel things so heavily. I'm going to get back to reading. Okay. When I was approaching the age of 40, oh my fucking God, that's me. <laughs> okay. I am 40. Okay, okay. Okay, sorry. I'm going to, let me, let me not make it everything about myself. Okay, let's get, let's get back. Okay. When I was approaching the age of 40 and facing the type of cancer scares that have become so commonplace in women's lives, they are practically routine, my first thought as I waited for test results was that I was not ready to die because I had not yet found the love my heart had been seeking. Shortly after this crisis ended, I had a grave illness that was life-threatening, confronting the possibility of dying. I became obsessed with the meaning of love in my life and in contemporary culture. My work as cultural critic offered me a constant opportunity to pay close attention to everything the mass media, particularly movies and magazines, tell us about love. Mostly, they tell us that everybody wants love, 
but that we remain totally confused about the practice of love in everyday life. That's so true. Okay, that was just me. Sorry. Bookmark. Uh, I'm going to just continue because this is super fascinating. In popular culture, love is always the stuff of fantasy. Maybe this is why men have done most of the theorizing about love. Fantasy has primarily been their domain, both in the sphere of cultural production and in everyday life. She's obviously talking about porn, right? Okay. <laughs> Male fantasy is seen as something that can create reality, whereas female fantasy is regarded as pure escape. Huh. Let me read that again. Okay, because... This latter part sounds more like pure, <laughs> pure escape. Okay, let me read that again. Male fantasy is seen as something that can create reality, whereas female fantasy is regarded as pure escape. Interesting. Hence, the romance novel remains the only domain in which women speak of love with any degree of authority. Oh, I get it. Okay. Okay, that's true. Yeah, the garbage books that you see at the grocery stores with Fabio. Do they even make those anymore? The Fabio, well, I guess now it's Twilight, right? Or Fifty Shades of Grey. Okay, okay, okay. That's true. Those were all written by women. However, when men appropriate the romance genre, their work is far more rewarded than is the writing of women. A book like The Bridges of Madison County is the supreme example. Had a woman penned this sentimental, shallow story of love, <laughs> that's some shade, shallow story of love, which did, though, have its moments, it is unlikely it would ever have become such a major mainstream success, crossing all boundaries of genre. Yeah, that book and movie was heralded as right like i don't know did, meryl streep was in that did she get it with clint eastwood did she get a oscar nomination i can't i'm sure she did she always does okay back to reading of course consumers of books about love are, are primarily female yet male sexism alone does not explain the lack of more books by and about love written by women Apparently, women are both willing and eager to hear what men have to say about love. Ew, that's so true. Why are we like this? Female sexist thinking may lead a woman to feel she already knows what another woman will say. Such a reader may feel that she has more to gain by reading what men have to say. Bookmark. Ugh, fuck. Yeah, it's a catch-22. We as women want to understand how men's brain work. And we really should not because there's not a lot there. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Am I? Am I kidding? I don't know. Uh, not. I am kidding. My gentlemen in this <laughs> TikTok listening range. I'm not talking about you guys. You guys are elite. Okay, back to reading. Earlier in my life, I read books about love and never thought about the gender of the writer. 
eager to understand what we mean when we speak of love, I did not really consider the extent to which gender shaped the writer's perspective. It was only when I began to think seriously about the subject of love and to write about it that I pondered whether women do this differently from men. Reviewing the literature on love, I noticed how few writers, male or female, talk about the impact of patriarchy, the way in which male domination of women and children stands in the way of love. John Bradshaw's Creating Love, The Next Great Stage of Growth, is one of my favorite books on the topic. He valiantly attempts to establish the link between male domination, the institutionalization of patriarchy, and the lack of of love of families. Famous for work that calls attention to the inner child, Bradshaw believes that ending patriarchy is one step in the direction of love. Wow, and that came from a man. How fascinating. Okay, back to reading. However, his work on love has never received ongoing attention and celebration. It did not get the notice given work by men who write about love while affirming sexist-defined gender roles. Profound changes in the way we think and act must take place if we are to create a loving culture. Men writing about love always testify that they have received love. They speak from this position. It gives what they say authority. Women, more often than not, speak from a position of lack, of not having received the love we long for. A woman who talks of love is still suspect. Sus. <laughs> Perhaps this is because all that enlightened women may have to say about love will stand as a direct threat and challenge to the visions men have offered us. I enjoy what male writers have to say about love. I cherish my Rumi and my Rilke. Rilke? If you know, you know. I don't. Male poets who stir hearts with their words. Men often write about love through fantasy, through what they imagine is possible, rather than what they concretely know. Mmm, pause, yes. Men often talk about shit they don't know. That's why they mansplain everything, because they're talking out of their ass. Okay. <laughs> Let me get back to uh, reading. We know now that Rilke, I'm going to say Rilke, R-I-L-K-E, did not write as he lived. <laughs> How do I so know that to be true? Men write about shit that they did not love. Okay, I'm sorry. I don't mean to sound like an angry feminist. <laughs> but let me get back to reading. That so many words of love offered us by great men fail us when we come face to face with reality. And even though John Gray's work troubles me and makes me mad, I confess to reading and rereading Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. But like many women and men, I want to know about the meaning of love beyond the realm of fantasy, beyond what we imagine can happen. I want to know love's truths as we live them. Yes, Belle, tell us all. Okay, back to reading. Almost all the recent popular self-help writing by men on love, from works like Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, to John Wellwood's Love and Awakening, makes use of feminist perspectives on gender roles. Ultimately, though, the authors remain 
wedded to belief systems, which suggests that there are basic inherent differences between women and men. In actuality, all the concrete proof indicates that while the perspectives of men and women often differ, these differences are learned are learned characteristics, not innate, mm, I buy that, or natural traits. It's conditioning, right? Okay. If the notion that men and women were absolutely opposites inhabiting totally different emotional universes were true, men would never have become the supreme authorities on love. Given gender stereotypes that assign to women the role of feelings and being emotional and to men the role of reason and non-emotion, quote-unquote real men would shy away from any talk of love. Though, consider the established quote-unquote authorities on the subject, only a few men talk freely, telling the world what they think about love. In everyday life, males and females alike are relatively silent about love. Our silence shields us from uncertainty. We want to know love. We are simply afraid the desire to know too much about love will lead us closer and closer to the abyss of lovelessness. Oh my God, that is so true. <laughs> bookmark, bookmark. Um, I feel like... A lot of my good friends that are single are afraid to talk about love and what they're looking for when I grill them hard because they don't want to, I think a lot of them feel like they're not going to find the one. And then when we start getting into the topic about love and what they're looking for and, you know, especially now that a lot of my friends are older and single, I can, I can feel the fear. And it's a real thing as we get older. That's definitely not something we dealt with when we were in our 20s because, you know, the world was our oyster. Let's keep going. While ours is a nation wherein the vast majority of citizens are followers of religious faiths that proclaim the transformative power of love, many people feel that they do not have a clue as to how to love. And practically everyone suffers a crisis of faith when it comes to realizing biblical theories about the art of loving in everyday life. It is far easier to talk about loss than it is to talk about love. How bleak. I, I think that's true. When people deal with, you know, um, death, I feel like it kind of pours out of them. Like it needs to naturally find a release. But with love, it's more this questioning. Which, you know, whenever... You talk about something that has a lot of questions. I feel like people generally feel more anxiety because there's no right answer. Yeah. Man, I'm such a deep thinker. <laughs> okay. 
It is easier to articulate the pain of love's absence than to describe its presence and meaning in our lives. Taught to believe that the mind, not the heart, is the seat of learning, many of us believe that to speak of love with any emotional intensity means we will be perceived as weak and irrational. And it is especially hard to speak of love when what we have to say calls attention to the fact that lovelessness is more common than love, that many of us are not sure what we mean when we talk of love or how to express love. Wow. That, I feel like that hits home for a lot of people. Lovelessness is more common than love. That's the culture we live in, you know? That's why trolls are so prevalent in, like, anything, social media, Twitter, whatever. You can just feel the lovelessness. That's why there's so many of them. <sighs> okay. Everyone wants to know more about love. We want to know what it means to love, what we can do in our everyday lives to love and be loved. We want to know how to seduce those among us who remain wedded to lovelessness and open the door to their hearts to let love enter. The strength of our desire does not change the power of our cultural uncertainty. Everywhere we learn that love is important and yet we are bombarded by its failure. In the realm of the political, among the religious, in our families, and in our romantic lives, we see little indication that love informs decisions, strengthens our understanding of community, or keeps us together. This bleak picture in no way alters the nature of our longing. We still hope that love will prevail. We still believe in love's promise. Just as the graffiti proclaimed, our hope lies in the reality that so many of us continue to believe in love's power. We believe it is important to know love. We believe it is important to search for love's truth. In an overwhelming number of private conversations and public dialogues, I have given and heard testimony about the mounting lovelessness in our culture and the fear it strikes in everyone's heart. This despair about love is coupled with a callous cynicism that frowns upon any suggestion that love is as important as work, as crucial to our survival as a nation as the drive to succeed. Awesomely, our nation, like no other in the world, is a culture driven by the quest to love. It's the theme of our movies, music, literature, even as it offers so little opportunity for us to understand love's meaning or to know how to realize love in a word and deed. Our nation is equally driven by sexual obsession. <sighs> yeah, I mean... Slide into the DMs. That's such a culture we live in now. It really deadens romance. 
back to reading. There is no aspect of sexuality that is not studied, talked about, or demonstrated. How do classes exist for every dimension of sexuality, even masturbation? Ew! There's a class on masturbation? Blah. I don't, mm, mm, I, I'm sorry, am I just being immature? That, that, I don't, mm, I, had, I did not know that. <laughs> I mean, I don't know why it, it shouldn't be a surprise, but to actually, like, read that? <laughs> okay, that caught me off guard, sorry. Okay, back to reading. Yet schools for love do not exist. Everyone assumes that we will know how to love instinctively. Despite overwhelming evidence to the contrary, we still accept that the family is the primary school for love. Oh my God, that's so true. I, for the longest time, believed that I was not capable of love because I didn't grow up with it in my household. Like I... And I feared having children for this reason because I'm like, how am I going to show love when I didn't receive it? And that is literally the only source that people think about when you think about like, am I, was I loved? I mean, at an early age, right? It's It goes back to the family. That's your hub. Okay. Okay. Uh, Let's see. Da, 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 da. Those of us who do not learn how to love among family are expected to experience love in romantic relationships. However, this love often eludes us, and we spend a lifetime undoing the damage caused by cruelty, neglect, and all manner of lovelessness experienced in our families of origin and in relationships where we simply did not know what to do. Only love can heal the wounds of the past. However, the intensity of our woundedness often leads to a closing of the heart, making it impossible for us to give or receive the love that is given to us. To open our hearts more fully to love's power and grace, we must dare to acknowledge how little we know of love in both theory and practice. We must face the confusion and disappointment that much of what we were taught about, the nature of love, makes no sense when applied to daily life. Contemplating the practice of love in everyday life Thinking about how we love and what is needed for ours to become a culture where love's sacred presence can be felt everywhere, I wrote this meditation. As the title All About Love, New Visions indicates, we want to live in a culture where love can flourish. We yearn to end the lovelessness that is so pervasive in our society. This book tells us how to return to love. All About Love. New Visions provides radical new ways to think about the art of loving, offering a hopeful, joyous vision of love's transformative power. It lets us know what we must do to love again. Gathering love's wisdom, it lets us know what we must do to be touched by love's grace. And that was just the introduction. <laughs> We haven't even gotten to um, the actual <laughs> book. <laughs> I guess I could have skipped the introduction, but 
I usually like to always read it, so it only felt right that I should. Um, but hey, next week I will thoroughly read chapter one out loud. Here's uh, what it's titled. One, clarity. Give love words. Oh, okay. Like actions are going to be given out next week. So thanks for getting through the introduction with me. I I still enjoyed reading it um, because I think it's important to know the you know, the message that the, I mean, I like reading the journey of what the reader, well, no, the reader is me, <laughs> the writer had in mind when they embarked on this journey to, and you know, that's such a, all about love, that's a huge um, thing to tackle, so I think it was worth going through the introduction together, I don't know about y'all, but give me the feedback, uh would love to hear it but hey we did another episode i'm doing it weekly y'all if you want to subscribe or throw me a tip on tickety talk talk feel free because i'm putting in the work okay i'm committing to this and we're gonna learn all about love together because we all freaking need it in 2022 because Amarion is on the loose. <laughs> Amarion. Omicron. Um, but Amarion sounds so much better. Okay. I am headed off to bed because uh, I always stay up reading to you guys after my kids are in bed. So something to think about right before I as, as I head to bed all this contemplation on love fascinating stuff uh i'm rambling on now so see this is what happens when i get tired <laughs> but i hope you enjoyed it um you know give me some feedback i love hearing from y'all i hope this makes the drive to your work or whatever your monotonous thing you're doing you can get through <laughs> with my cackling and snorting but we shall carry on more next week. All right. Much love. My cat together. Remember we decided that? You guys are my square kimchi. <laughs> I just like the sound of it. Cat Okay. Lots of love.